Hey, Mum, come and have a look at this. I've got something to show you. Oh, God, what do you want now, Arthur? Go on, read it out. Mummy's Boy with Arthur Hill, a brand new podcast starring Arthur Hill and his mother, Lisa. What the bloody hell is this? I've signed us up to do a podcast. See, this is the contract. Oh, Arthur. It's Mummy's Boy. Mummy's Boy is my new podcast where I head back home each week to catch up with my mum and help bring her into the 21st century. Listen to Mummy's Boy every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. This is a crowd podcast. Hello, it is Tom here and you're listening to a classic episode. And in today's episode, we meet a vicar and we think he might just be the best vicar in the entire world. We ask him about weddings. We ask him about funerals. We ask him about swear words in the Bible and whether the Lord above is Father Tim's line manager. Enjoy. Hello, Tim Sudworth. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You know there's swear words in the Bible, don't you? Fuck off. Where, where, <laughs> okay, we'll get, we'll get on to that. That's not one of them. <laughs> no, there is. We just don't translate them as such. Can I start off with a very obvious question? But when Steve told us you were coming on, mm. um, my first thought was, you have possibly the most vicar name I have ever heard. Have I? <laughs> what? Tim. What do you mean? <laughs> I just think it's a great name for a vicar. I mean, nobody calls me Father Tim. They just call me Tim. Oh, yeah. People call you father, don't they? You're a father. Are you an actual father as well? I am an actual father of four kids. Yeah. But um, people do, to try and wind me up, kind of call me Father Tim. It's almost like a joke because I don't wear my dog collar that often. You've got an Iron Maiden T-shirt on. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm into heavy metal, so <laughs> I still pretend I play rugby as well. I'm in a vets team in Ealing. Oh, yeah. What position? I'm second row. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you, you're a unit then. What sort of say? Are you a mobile second row? Well, I'm just a, a lumpy 50-year-old second row who still thinks I'll get a call at some point to go and play for England. Well, mate, stranger things have happened. There's <laughs> lots of imposters that have played for England over the over the years. <clears throat> yeah. Not mentioning any names, but there's no, definitely a chance. Not at all. I need to just clarify some stuff here because mm-hmm. you're a listener to the show, so you might have heard that I've got some trust issues, particularly with Tom and Steve. Now you've you've turned up. You've got an Iron Maiden mm-hmm. T-shirt on. Mm-hmm. You look pretty stereotypically nails. You know, shaved head, pretty hard. You've told me you've got four kids, therefore yeah. you've done some things in order to make them, and you play rugby. These things are starting to add up as if to be like, you're not a real vicar, and we've just gone, we're going to get Tim in to act like a vicar and pretend thingy. So you're a legit vicar. I'm a legit vicar. I was thinking this might come up, and uh, I've got two things. The first one probably wouldn't illustrate the fact I'm a vicar. That's my dog collar, uh, which is basically mm. a bit of plastic on a bit of elastic. Uh, but the second thing I'll just go here is I've, I've got my cassock. And I know it, I could be a cosplay neo dress-up <laughs> thing. But that, it would be a weird my... cosplay role to have, wouldn't it, Vicar? Usually it's like <laughs> sort of characters from Star Wars or something. It, it's a limited audience cosplay, yeah. But it, I, I got ordained about 10 years ago. And uh, a lot of our family are Vicars. My dad, my brother, my great uncle, my granddad got thrown out of theological college for being too outspoken. And my eldest son is looking at ordination. So short of uh, we could do a communion service together, I could do a, a Bible study for you. I couldn't really prove it. 
You've got an Iron Maiden t-shirt on. You said you're into heavy metal. We like to show ourselves as being more kind of folk rock kind of stuff rather than the kind of hymn, what people would see as a hymn sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great phrase. A hymn sandwich. (laughs) Hymn, somebody talks. Hymn, somebody talks. Hymn, somebody talks. All go home. Tim, can you just hold your dog collar up to your... Ah, okay. So what we can see is... It's just black elastic. It is. And I mean, that I did that myself because the, the normal kind of dog collar does tie at the back and has got like a press stud on it. And the, the Vicar shirts are really horrible to wear. So basically, when I do wear it, I just wear a normal shirt you get from Marks and Spencer's or something. I've not got a small neck and the, uh, the designs of the clergy shirts are really uncomfortable. So... Uh, <laughs> Is there a difference between the dog collar worn by a Catholic priest or a Methodist minister? There is a difference between a Catholic priest and a Church of England priest. I'm Church of England. But to all intents and purposes, the physical dog collar, it's the same. They get better colours, don't they, in the Catholic Church? As someone who's brought up in a, in a Catholic Church and spent an awful lot of time going to church against his will to the age of 16. Yeah. They're very big on the spectacular colour scheme. They do like it, yeah. They do like the dressing up a lot a lot more than, than us Anglicans. Although there are some Anglicans who do, do a bit of dressing up catholics are like the biggest gang on earth aren't they they're like the real ocg h is a catholic priest sat on a desk somewhere yeah um i i'd like to ask about self-flagellation is that something that still goes on who does self-flagellation i just like saying (laughs) self-flagellation it's the type of thing that it will be definitely a catholic practice but it's a catholic practice that probably is in left somewhere in history that only a few one or two people uh, are into nowadays basically any of my knowledge of anything is based on films and tv which is appalling really but i remember watching uh, the da vinci code and silas yeah. the ghost he would whip himself with this thing every night and i'd be like what I, 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 that confuses the the hell out of me the thinking behind it is that it, you're trying to control your carnal desires and that's where it comes from so that there was a an ancient church father who, whose name escapes me so like a thousand years ago who used to when he had lustful thoughts used to run and roll in nettles and sit naked and he <laughs> it, that, and so that would be his way of dealing with his lustful desires that used to come to his mind at night the difficult thing with that is we're assuming that in his era he's obviously living in a rural environment if if when I had a saucy thought in the middle of the day, I had to find some nettles to roll in. It, I mean, it'll take me for, for ages. Yeah, yeah. I'd be running up and down the street in a state of undress and possibly arousal, looking for the nettles. I think it'd just be worse. I might as well just do the other thing that I'm not going to talk about. The other issue with that, though, Tom, is that these days people actually use nettles to do the act anyway, to do said act. I mean, I would actually usually, I would usually just come out with it and say masturbate or wank, but I feel really uncomfortable saying those words in front of the father here. Anyway, back to the matter in hand. (laughs) Is there, can I ask a semi-serious question? Is there anything in the Bible which forbades the words that I now can't say because I'm also masturbation. masturbation. Oh God! Oh, I don't know how I feel about the father saying that word. Don't make him say it. <laughs> um, there isn't, as such, there's a spurious 
verse in the Old Testament that has been uh, used in the past where, I can't remember the character's name, who spilt his semen on the ground. And that is seen as a kind of a bad thing. But actually, uh, it's more to do with the kind of the thoughts that go with the practice rather than the act itself. <laughs> Although it's, that's a bit like sort of having a cart without a donkey, isn't it? Like, how do you do the second thing without the thoughts? Oh, there you go, yeah. <laughs> So we've taken a side route here, Joe, haven't it we? Is. Would you like to pick up? Take us in a different direction. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. God, that's the worst. Oh, this is awful. Oh, stop it. Behave yourself. That is, in fact, no, sod it. Oh, God. Oh, every other word that comes out my mouth, I feel like is insulting Father Tim. I'm sorry, Father Tim, but you knew what you were getting into. And I'm now going to stop (laughs) apologising and just going to go with it. But swear words, talk to me. There is one in the Bible, but we don't translate it as a swear word. There is a Mm. passage uh, in the New Testament where Paul, who's one of the writers of this, what was a letter, he kind of has this big build-up and he talks about how faith is so important to him that actually everything else, I count but nothing compared to my love of Christ. Okay? Now, the, the Greek if you look, because that's the language the letter was originally written in, literally translates as dog shit. And so literally, (laughs) everything else compared to his faith is dog shit. But when they they translated it in the the Bible, they they translate the Bible by committee in 1662 when they translated it originally into English. And so they all sat around and obviously went, no, 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 we can't can't have the word shit in the Bible. Uh, It has to be something else. And so, and that's basically the kind of the the translation issue that goes all the way through the Bible when, you know, the left hand, the Old Testament left hand side of the Bible is Hebrew and the right hand side is Greek is that you're translating something so you've got to have some agreement because words work differently in different languages so we translate everything else I count but nothing compared to my love of Christ can I ask one more I don't want to get too stuck in theological debates here but there's something that's always <laughs> puzzled me but there are four gospels mm-hmm. and sometimes there's not much overlap between the different gospels mm-hmm. and am I right in thinking that some of the gospels were passed down through an oral tradition and was one of them written considerably after the event cool you're bringing a lot of knowledge to the table here (laughs) so how do we work out so we've got these four different versions of something which happened how do we steer our way through this okay the rather kind of superficial answer is that you have four newspapers that are trying to do coverage as to what happened to do with the the new european premiership football thing you'll get four different views you'll get four different stories that are from four different perspectives depending on which paper you use so on a very superficial level matthew mark luke and john are four different newspapers covering uh, the same issue f- from different perspectives different times and different angles uh, whereas mark's gospel is very short and very pithy it's like the daily mirror it starts with jesus came to save everybody big headline whereas actually john's gospel is really weird and kind of reflective and he goes in different angles so that's in a very superficial level why you have up with four gospels there is a bit of overlap and there is a theory there is another source they got stuff from that is lost why are the names so simple why were the <laughs> disciples not like more imaginative with their names where's the romeos where's the theodores at the end of the day they were just local people and some of them fishermen and they had just normal names yeah you'd think with coming up with an idea of working with the son of god you come up with better names than that but they were just normal people 
interestingly enough, my son and my daughter both go to a Church of England primary school because I don't know many primary schools that aren't Church of England or affiliated somehow to a church. And me and Jasper, my seven-year-old, often have religious debates because I'm a non-believer and him going to school and taught using the Bible and different stories, uh, he is a believer. Occasionally he'll he'll hear me say, oh, for God's sake, and he'll go, oh, I didn't think you believed in God. I was like, oh, it's a turn of phrase, but okay, (laughs) if you want to get into it, that's fine. I, I don't want to stop him from believing. I want to give him the options. So I'm not ramming down my ideas on down his throat of, of what I believe or don't believe. But I say to him, you've got as much proof that there is a God than I have that there isn't a God. And that confuses him. So I try to bamboozle a seven-year-old to make myself feel better about whether it's true or not. There is categorical proof that Jesus existed. And mm. actually, you know, throughout, that th- there is non-biblical accounts of this character, Jesus. Um, and there's a guy called Josephus who described this uh, character called Jesus who had many followers and did, by all accounts, many miraculous things. And there's, like, I think there's about five or six historical references to Jesus existing. But the, the acute question comes as to, well, what do we think about what he said about himself? You know, people say, oh, he never existed. He, he did. The, the important thing is, do you believe on what he said? and then what he did and what should he do about it but who who are the guys or girls probably guys that wrote those stories about him so that you say historical facts but if they're written by people who decide oh we want to invent this idea of a religion they're going to write that he did do these wonderful things but do you know what i mean there's no yeah. there's no real no. proof unless we had video or we can go back in time to actually go oh that actually did happen there is a, a historian who was uh, a jew in the first century called josephus who wouldn't have a kind of self-interest to actually make it out to be true. So we have historical people who aren't in the Bible, who aren't Christians writing accounts about this character called Jesus. There is still there's a guy called Josephus, a guy called Tacitus. There's documents called the Talmud that refer to Jesus. None of them Christian, but all of them point to the existence of a character who wandered around, had followers, and by all accounts did miraculous things. He did exist. Now, what did he say he did and what do we think about the accounts that are in the Bible? Can you be a vicar and not believe in God? (laughs) Um, I think technically you can because you you get ordained. So you go to a cathedral and the, the... the bishop lays hands on you and you get ordained. You could, te- I guess, have a crisis of faith and not then believe in God. That doesn't take away the fact that the bishop has ordained you. So it seems like I'm just playing with words, but I, say, I guess technically, yes, you could be a vicar that could doubt the existence of God. But then at the same time, surely you'd ask the question, well, why are you bothering? Yeah, go and get another job, teach RE or something. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't supposed to be about derogatory to RE teachers, but... (laughs) Beneath the veneer of the everyday lurks the realm of the spy. From Wondery, I'm Raza Jaffrey. This is The Spy Who, the podcast exploring true spy stories you were never meant to hear, with secret operatives playing to very different rules. We'll reveal the invisible work of the world's intelligence services, unearthing daring missions packed with danger, deceit, and double crosses. Follow The Spy Who wherever you listen to podcasts. 
did you start as a choir boy and work your way what's the pathway <laughs> to becoming a vicar like is it like a career that goes on to something else do you dream of being the pope one day the pope is catholic as oh the, bollocks the, the See, this goes. is this this <sighs> is how fucking stupid i am and why any lord would be like uh, even if he did believe i don't want him to believe in me actually i don't want him to be part of my godly army he's a fucking idiot <laughs> jesus loves you joe it's just everybody else <laughs> yeah do you have a career path uh you could see it as a career path the the interview process basically takes about a year and a half of lots of different one-to-ones and interviews and then you go on a selection conference where you get more interviews and then you get sent to train to be a vicar at a university and so that takes about three years to do the training it's a degree like any other and then a trainee vicar is called a curate and then you do three or four years training on the job and then you get to run your own church after that so it takes about seven years in total before you can run a church I need to ask some semi-controversial questions and... What, worse than about talking about masturbation? Well, that's quite a good, <laughs> it's quite a good route into it. But um, in the past, I have been known to publicly criticise another rugby figure for his views mm-hmm. on homosexuals based on mm-hmm. his religious yep. views. Yep. And it's something I feel strongly about, something I feel passionate about as to what is the big deal with being gay? Why can't people be gay? Why didn't why doesn't the Lord like gays, basically? Okay. In church circles as in all circles, for every friendly face there's always a bit of an idiot and i think what is going on at the minute in the church of england is there is quite a genuine discussion going on as to look how do we move forward when there is traditional side of the church that wants to take bits of the bible and hold to it and another bit of the church that wants to go but that was written thousands of years ago how can it be relevant to today and it's all around issues on sexuality. But the underlying thing is that actually God loves everybody. And Jesus loves everybody, including Joe, when he sits in a van and swears, he still loves him. And actually, (laughs) and so when you come to the issues of sexuality, there's a big discussion going on. But then at the same time, you've always got idiots in the discussion that want to start throwing stuff and want to start making people out to be idiots and so they tend to float to the top and that's why not wishing to blame the media on this but actually that's why the media gets hold of these characters and just stokes a fire whereas actually at first and foremost jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself and i just don't think slagging people off just because of their sexuality it does justice to that idea the way I try and think about this, Joe, is let's say when I go and watch Wednesday, who I've supported all my life and love to go and watch, and there will always be a bellend in the stand who just starts abusing a player or swearing his head off or saying stuff that you consider totally unacceptable. Yet he's still a Wednesday fan, and it doesn't mean that all Wednesday fans are idiots. And I think about that when I think about Margaret Court, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, who is very much of the sort of, um, how would you describe this, Tim, if we sort of go past happy, clappy, towards born again, and then maybe go a little bit further, that sort of quite extreme end of the spectrum, who is extremely homophobic. So I tend to think of it like that. You know, you'll have extremists, won't you? Yeah. In yeah. most environments. Yeah. 
sadly, that is the discussion the Church of England is having at the minute. And let's face it, the Church of England moves with the speed of an iceberg. It's not a swift-moving <laughs> thing. We need to give it time to realise and work through some ideas that actually, in culture, we've changed literally overnight. Right, this is. I, I didn't want to get into. I didn't want it to make. I didn't fucking dickhead. I'm not calling you a dickhead, father. Sorry. Um, <laughs> what happens is, is just. I get Tourette's on this. It just happens. It just fucking flows out of me. I don't want to make this like a heavy religious debate. Atheist versus vicar with Tom supplementing it with random historical facts and knowledge, which blew my mind. Thank you, Tom. But I will say this: I am a non-believer. I am an atheist. I really like how Ricky Gervais described it once, where he said there's approximately 3,000 gods in the world, different types of gods, that different religions and everything that follow. And when they say, oh, you're a non-believer, you're an atheist, that's wrong. But he said, oh, hang on a minute. You, as a Christian, you deny 2,999 other gods mm -hmm. and you believe in one god. Me as an atheist only denies one more God than you do. So I just, <laughs> I quite like that, the way he talks about it. But I will say this about religion. It can be used as a massively positive thing. Yeah. As a great guide to life. So like I, I mentioned about Jasper with him learning about everything at school or different stories. There's stories in that that are great tools to be able to use mm. and teach kids different ways of, even if I don't believe in the actual the Lord and the Father and the Holy Spirit side of it, but the context of it all that can help me and Daisy as, as parents to then guide the kids over is, is brilliant. So I'll never deny it or judge people mm. for believing in God or, or believing in, in a religion. So I just wanted to get all of that heavy shit out of the way. Let's get on to something lighter. Let's get on something a bit more fun. Um, okay. Talk to me about farting during funerals. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I weren't expecting that, no. Um, I think over the years, and like I said, all my family are vicars, we've garnered and gathered many a story around funerals and weddings that actually are very funny. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, in the, the society we're in, we don't talk about death. Grandma goes away to hospital and that's the last time we see her, whereas historically grandma died in the home and we, we could see death, we could talk about death. And so actually stories about death aren't a bad thing. And um, when I was, uh, I was training another curate and I was with a family who, the dad of the family dying of brain cancer, and it was over a period of about two weeks where he was slowly, slowly dying. And so lots of sitting around, lots of praying, lots of just taking time out. Wife was kneeling by the bed and me and the curate was stood there and um, she'd just finished doing something. She, she went to get up and as she got up, let out the biggest fart you've ever heard. <laughs> and so to go from an environment where you're standing around waiting for someone to die everybody burst out laughing, including the guy who was dying. It was probably one of the last points where he was cognitive. He just chuckled to himself. And actually, which is brilliant because, you know, bringing humor story, talking about death, talking and celebrating someone's life is actually, I see a key part of who I am and what I do as a vicar. One of my uncles who did a, a funeral, he was just about to, it was, a, a, it was in Bolton, this old church, and he was basically just giving the blessing. It was a pseudo-mafia family, and basically this uh, matriarch of the family had died, and the two brothers had fallen out. 
and um, and the place was packed and my uncle was just about to give the blessing and there's a little button you press and the coffin disappears down the thing. He was just about to press a button and this voice pipes up with, shouldn't be her in there, should be you, you effing <gasps> this, that and the other. And, yeah, yeah. and basically the, this kneeler got thrown across the room and these two sides <laughs> of the family start battering seven bells out of each other and then all of a sudden the police apparently aware that this might happen turned up ran in all shields and truncheons and the whole family turned on the police so you know <laughs> you know if you if that was in vicar at dibley you wouldn't believe it but actually <laughs> you know these situations are funny we've had things happening at weddings that are funny let, let's talk about these things let's not hold back and talk about somebody who's gone off to another room they've died let's celebrate their life let's remember them well this is the spectacular thing about your job, I guess, Tim. You are at all these defining points in people's lives, whether mm. it's christenings or weddings or funerals. I guess several times a year you have conversations with engaged couples who would like to get married at your church. You know that they're not, probably not going to turn up at the church again and they know they're not going to turn <laughs> up at the church again. So how do you just do that little dance where you pretend that it's not going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I used to do the little dance where I pretended where it didn't happen until I went. If you do get invited to the reception as the vicar, you get put on the odd relatives table, which, to, <laughs> which is, you know, the, the mad aunt and the the funny odd cousin. And so you get plonked on this table. And I, I was at one of these things and I was on the odd table and we we're sat around and the conversation went that basically everybody around the table in some way had been hurt by the church and decided never to go again and so <laughs> i took the i mean it was tragically sad and i took the opportunity just to apologize on behalf of the church for the behavior of some people but then i came away <laughs> thinking actually i want to do something different with weddings i want it to be not just the thing you have to do before you go and get drunk at the reception i want to make it a big celebration i want to make it an event that they'll look back on and remember it well on the off chance that they might go you know if have a crisis later on in life or if they have a kid and want to get baptized that they'll come back again and that relationship will be a good one and a strong one yeah you've got this one wedding sermon that you say you churn out every time <laughs> that's that's your go-to that's your specialty is it that's churn out um the, the reality is uh, the reality is you're saying the stuff my eldest is saying to me now because he's getting married this august shout out to jake and hannah because he's like dad you're gonna have to write a new one you know this don't you um and i don't churn out basically i start off with the idea that what has society got to say to us about love and so I've got a track list of tragic songs that I then play through the church PA. And one of them is uh, Back for Good, take that. I mm. guess it's time for you to give up. Bit of advice from, from Gary there, you've got to give up. And uh, <laughs> have a little patience. Oh, great bit of advice there for a potential couple getting married. And then uh, the JLS song, Everybody in Love, Put Your Hands Up. But what generally happens, because it used to church, nobody puts their hands up and waves their hands in the air if they're in love. And so I stop the music and go, well, there's got to be two people here who's got to put their hands up. Let's play it again. And there was, a, there was a, a, basically an emo at a wedding that I was doing. <laughs> and we got to the JLS bit. I went, come on, everybody, including the emo over there, put your hands up. And he's just oh, like, going, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> looking really miserable. Um, and then I bring it in with 
basically quoting a 1950s housewife's guide to be a good wife. And it, <laughs> it's so sexist, it's outrageous. There's a line in it, when, when your husband comes back from work, put a bow in your hair and be a little gay. And, so, <laughs> and basically, I conclude, really has society got not much to say? And so basically, I use three words in the Bible that are in Hebrew for love, which basically mean friendship, love, intimate sexual love and brotherly love and explore the idea that actually weddings is about juggling and so my present to them and i, I give them uh, i get some really nice uh, juggling balls and uh, <laughs> and I, it's all about balls in the end and and i give them as a present juggling balls because actually when when it comes down to it love is about juggling between those three different aspects of love and then we, we, we send them on their way and and i want it to be a celebration i want it to be more than just the functional thing that happens just before you go and get drunk tom you're not married yet are you no and you're not really keen on getting married are you no i've been i've been with murph for 13 years two children bought a house together and you you two just see it as a as a piece of paper do you it's not really yeah, I do i feel it feels rather much like the conversations that happen around the tea time table every <laughs> evening with murph now joe i thought this was my safe place <laughs> yeah it is your safe place however i am going to put a little bit of pressure on you having heard tim's wedding sermon and the way he does things i need you to get married at tim's church and i need to be invited because i want to be there to hear tim's sermon i just want that sounds absolutely incredible the amount of weddings i've been to where you're like oh my god this is this, right we need to get this out of the way do we go early doors and go at 11 yeah. to the pub see if it opens you're fighting over the baby just... who's crying i'll take the baby out it's all right yeah everyone else just having a fag or something oh i meant to be in there no christ the, the vicar might as well be dead stood up there he's fucking like 90 odd and he's just boring the life out of everyone he, he means well but then you're like oh get it out of the way we've got the yours sounds incredible tim can i just come to your son's wedding i've just self-invited myself but self yeah, you can self come if you want i'm self sure i'd be more than happy for you to come right what was his name jake sudworth jake and hannah they're yep. getting married when are they getting married gonna be probably third week in august lovely i'll make myself available well, maybe, maybe, Joe, we can both go along if we can go on the weirdo's table. <laughs> just described. Brilliant. I don't think we'd have a choice in that, Tom. What about any weddings that have gone wrong? Have you ever had anyone, like, storm the church and say, No, I was shagging him last night. He's my man. Somebody, uh, trying to be discreet, somebody I know who's a vicar congratulated the bride on the day about being pregnant. Ooh. Oh. And she wasn't. Oh. <laughs> and that was from the front of church. Oh. And, it, <laughs> and I went, so how did the rest of the wedding go? And the, this person went, yeah, quickly. <laughs> so, aye, aye, aye. So I was like, nightmare. <laughs> what about the practicalities, Tim, of your job? So I know absolutely nothing about this. I've got questions like, who pays your wages? Mm -hmm. How much do you get paid? Do you have <laughs> set hours? It's a weird one because you, you, technically I don't have a job. I receive what is called a stipend, uh, which is my pay. 
Um, and from that, because I get a stipend and I've not got a job, I'm freed up to do kind of clergy things. I, I pray a lot. I read a lot. I, I meet people and t clearly not in these times, but I, I meet a lot of people, pray for them, talk through things, uh, help them in their struggles, whatever they're doing. There's bits of lots of different types of job all in me from somebody who's like a middle manager through to somebody who who prays for people and actually that's kind of my job really the first line you said was technically you don't have a job and then the second line you said was but i get paid by the church and that kind of to me that sounds a lot like a job it is uh, but the, it, the more older established clergy would wince at the idea of being told they've got a job or that yeah, they've got a job on, description. They're on mega bucks though, aren't they? You're like the bishop, surely the bishop is like a gazillionaire. It, they get paid a bit more than me, but it, you'd be shocked at how much they little they do get paid. Do you I think, think they get just paid, get nicer rings then? Yeah, nicer jewellery, a nice hat. Um, their houses tend to be nicer. They get a palace, don't they, some of them? Some of them get a palace. Apparently the nicest one is the Bishop of Bath and Wells. Apparently that mm. is a place to be. Uh, is it? Yeah. They've got a castle and apparently swans. Oh, well, that's the touch of a castle, isn't it? That is, You can yeah. have a castle, but a castle <laughs> with swans. Roll up the drawbridge, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> How much ostentatious wealth can you have? So with your stipend... Mm -hmm. I imagine you are allowed a car, but mm -hmm. is there a type of car that would be frowned upon? So, for example, people saw you tootling around Acton in a second-hand estate. They'd be, that's fine, Tim, you know, needs an estate. He's got things to carry on. Hmm. If they saw you roaring around the streets of Acton in a Ferrari... I imagine eyebrows would be raised. And quite rightly so. I mean, we, all clergy, apart from bishops, get paid the same. It's not much. It's 20-something thousand a year, something like that. So the reality of me being able to afford a, a Ferrari is minimal. And so is it frowned upon? I think you've got to think about, actually, as a vicar, what do I want to be seen to be doing to be and to, in the world? And actually, driving around in a Ferrari, even if I had the money, I'd probably struggle with the, the ethics <laughs> of buying one. I'd like to think of having one but I probably wouldn't even get around to it. Actually think about doing it, but not committing the act. That tends yes. to be a running theme. Take it out on a test drive. Um, I play this game. In fact, I'm obsessed with this game at the minute called Perudo, also known as Liar's Dice. Never heard of it. Okay, well, it's, it's basically a game where you have to predict how many of a certain number of dice are on the table in this group anyway. And you have to call it and you bid upwards. And anyway, oh, I won't bluff. bore you with it. But a bit like bluff, yes. Yeah. One of the calls the that we club, say yeah. on it is Desmond, which is two twos. Yeah. Um, who is Desmond Tutu? Desmond Tutu was, was he Bishop of South Africa during the uh, apartheid regime? Mm. Okay, so he's a legit person. It's not someone yes. we've just made up for our game. No. Excellent. <laughs> Is that the entirety of the question, Joe? That's it. Yeah. yeah, really. I just wanted to get some clarification um, from someone who's actually in the business, whether I've just made up something about someone in the business. But and now that I have, it's not actually for the pod. It was for it was just for my own knowledge. Now that I can carry on, so that's a really shit question. So Steve, just take it out. It was mainly just for me. I should have said stop recording, and I'll stop talking now. Carry on. <laughs> Here's a question for you, Tim. Mm -hmm. When you are doing christenings. Is it hard sometimes when the child in question is given, frankly, a ludicrous name for you to keep a straight face? <laughs> yes. 
Um, a, a clergy friend of mine always used to struggle as well with the idea of uh, you know, every uh, parent is very proud of their newborn and every parent thinks their child is wonderfully good looking. And this colleague friend of mine really struggled when parents used to go, oh, look at him, isn't he beautiful? And when they clearly weren't, of going, yes, he is. And, <laughs> and so he, he invented this phrase of, oh, what a baby. And so, uh, what a baby! Oh, what a baby! And they always used to go, "Oh, he is, isn't he?" Um, and so it's kind of that 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 kind of struggle of silly names and ugly children is a real one. And yeah, it, you've just got to bite your lip on these things. I would struggle to actually not give them the truth because there aren't many babies in the world that look good when they're born. Anything younger than a month old, they're awful. We've, yeah, we've got the cone head. Awful, <laughs> dreadful. I don't care how you dress it up. At the time, with all, all three of my kids, I was every time I was like, oh, they're gorgeous. Oh, it's amazing. But it's mainly just because, oh, it's a human. But if you break it down, you look back at the pictures of them now, I go, oh, my God. Why did I ever say, oh, what a cutie? Because they weren't. They were all butters. Interesting enough, given the church we are, we tend to do a lot of baptisms in, uh, we've got a pool. Uh, like a baptism pool so we kind of blow it up and fill it up and we we dunk people in it like a full immersion style a one. full immersion yeah so you're you're up to your waist already are you in this pool yeah, yeah. and you and then they s- fall back into your arms what you do is you put your foot behind their heel and then uh dunk you them trip them up karate tri- style you, well the thing is if you don't people put their leg out and so if they if you go backwards <laughs> with it, they put the leg out and hurt the knee so you tell them you're gonna do it and so you put the foot behind it and the thing is if you were back to, if i was back somebody like joe it'd be like you'd need an assistant oh okay okay <laughs> yeah okay. no offense um, i'm glad you said assistant and not like a, a forklift <laughs> yeah a cr- <laughs> good um, so yeah you, you dunk them and lift them back up again uh, my uh, previous curate she uh was quite diminutive and she always struggled with the lifting of them back up and so <laughs> always have somebody else in there who's who's your boss like who? Who's your line manager? Is it is it the Lord Himself? Or <laughs> no, there's a few middle managers in between. Uh, my my line manager is a guy called Bishop Pete, Bishop Pete Broadbent, and then his line manager is Bishop Sarah, who's a bishop of London, and then you have the Archbishop, who's Justin Welby, is the Archbishop of Canterbury. Like I think whatever line of work we're in, Tim, sometimes you can have this existential crisis, thinking, mm-hmm. "What the hell am I doing?" So for Joe and I, every week. I go to the upstairs bedroom, Joe goes to his van, and we generally talk absolute nonsense for about an hour and a half. And I very much enjoy it. But occasionally I find myself thinking, what am I doing as a way to spend my life? Mm-hmm. So do you in your line of work, and I don't mean this in any way as a criticism, I think it's probably just a human trait. Do you ever have the moments where you think, oh my God, I'm not sure I believe as much as I did, or I've got a little bit of doubt here? Mm-hmm. Uh, with all faith, there's doubt. Because if it wasn't, it'd be truth. And so I have my doubts, I have my times where I, I question what on earth am I doing? Um, uh, and, uh, but that's part of the journey of faith, is, is you, you walk through these times and coming out of them, you hopefully be in a better space and more confident. And part of my ministry is actually working with people who you know, have that crisis of being in their bedroom doing some bizarre thing and then thinking, what on earth am I doing? And you talk it over and pray for them and meet them for coffee. Tim, can I be a vicar? 
Like I've done some pretty bad things in my life. Um, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done the worst things, but there's there's been some bad ones. And uh, I'm going to say Tom's done some bad stuff. Is it some bad stuff? <laughs> bad, bad stuff. I've, I've, I have but, done some bad things. Yeah. But me and Tom want to be vicars. I haven't spoken to you. Um, this is a role play, not real life. Having spoken to you today, you've uh, converted us, and I want to. I want to become you, not you. You. I want to become one of you. I want to be a brethren. I want to be a vicar. I want to be a father. I want to be called Father Joe. Can I do that? Even though I've sinned for the last thirty years of my life. Yeah, of course you can. How do you, do you just absolve me of any wrong? Like I had sex before marriage, you know, loads of times. Such a player, aren't I? Uh, anyway, <laughs> please delete that. Fucking delete that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> can, so I can become a vicar, can I? I just one day turn around, all right, I'll be a vicar. Part of the journey of faith, and part of the journey of if you wanted to become a. Uh, a vicar is actually acknowledging that all of us have got a past and all of us got a pathway that we've gone on and actually looking back at it and going actually it's made me who I am today but it actually in some cases I need to be penitent or repentant of that past and to get to a point where actually I'm going to leave it behind and actually a lot of Christians will talk about a thing called a testimony at a time where an overly, overly sexualized lifestyle, drug use, uh, whatever. And actually there are times where I think as when we come to a point of being a vicar, you've got to go, and actually, and I turned around from that and I think I'm a better person now. So yeah, of course you can. If we continued the role play, I'd say, how about we meet up and have a chat about it? The life after rugby dream continues. I've got one final request, Tim. I know you have an excellent band Mm -hmm. at your church. Um, As you know, I've been solely responsible for the jingles for this show Mm -hmm. up to this point. I wonder, people say the devil's got the best tunes. I wonder if we can maybe prove that wrong and that you and your excellent band in the church could maybe come up with a fresh jingle for the Joe Marler Show. I'm sure we can do that, definitely. I will have a word with our worship pastor. He will be absolutely over the moon at the idea. (laughs) If you enjoyed that as much as Joe and I did, why not dive in and learn about teachers, about historians, about funeral directors? Basically, there are shed loads for you to get involved in. Dive on in. Network, a place where you belong.